You're about to listen to a message from the LifePoint Church, a warm and friendly home for the young at heart. Then they said to one another, Look, this dreamer is coming. Come therefore, let us now kill him and cast him into some pit, and we shall see some wild beast has devoured him. We shall see what will become of his dreams. But Reuben heard it, and he delivered him out of their hands, and said, Let us not kill him. And Reuben said to them, Shed no blood, but cast him into this pit, which is in the wilderness, and do not lay a hand on him, that he might deliver him out of their hands and bring him back to his father. So it came to pass, when Joseph had come to his brothers, that he stripped Joseph of his tunic, the tunic of many colors that was on him. Then they took him and cast him into a pit, and the pit was empty. There was no water in it. And they sat down to eat a meal, and they lifted their eyes and looked, and there was a company of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels bearing spices, balm, and myrrh on their way to carry them down to Egypt. So Judah said to his brothers, What profit is there if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come and let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother and our flesh. And his brothers listened. Then the Midianite traders passed by. So the brothers pulled Joseph up, lifted him out of the pit, and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. And they took Joseph to Egypt. Amen. This evening, I want us to have a, it's, it's a, it's a conversation, it's a discussion, essentially. It's not me preaching. Um, and it's a topic that I think is very important. And I've titled the topic, When Our Reality Doesn't Match Our Expectations. When Our Reality Doesn't Match Our Expectations. You know, we've been having meetings in the missions team, and one of the things that has come out a lot is that there is a lot of discouragement. There's a lot of sadness. And it is something, obviously, we want to do you know, as part of our missions team. But I think it is something that everyone at some point, well, I don't know about you, but in my life, at some point, my reality in certain seasons don't necessarily match the expectations that I've had for it or the expectations that are in my heart. I remember last week I was talking to Pastor Idris, and I told him that I've, I'm going to stop looking at LinkedIn because every time I look at it, I see some of my contemporaries doing something. And I'm thinking, why am I not there? Why is it not me? And I'm putting all this heavy load on my neck. So this evening, I just want us to explore this because it seems that it's more normal than we think where our expectations are far away from the reality that we live in. Let us pray. Our Father and our Lord, we thank you for this time like this. Lord, we ask that as we go into your word, 
that this is not about me, but you use such an imperfect vessel to spread your word. Lord, let your word come through and let what you want it to do, let it happen this evening. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So this story, our, 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 and our case study, and that's why we read the Bible verse, was our case study is Joseph. Joseph's context was that he was the very chosen son of the selected son of a very rich man. We know that Jacob was blessed by God, and Jacob had quite a lot of affluence. Let's put it that way. But for some reason, Jacob had selected Joseph as the one that he really loved. The Bible tells us that he even created a special coat for him. And it was very obvious that Jacob loved Joseph. The Bible says maybe because, you know, he, Joseph, Jacob had Joseph in his old age, that he loved him so much. I think it might even be something to do with Rachel. Because Jacob loved Rachel so much. And Joseph was Rachel's firstborn. Obviously, this love was not lost to Joseph's brothers. And they obviously hated him for that. And they were jealous about it. And so for all intents and purposes, Joseph was at a good place. He was definitely the chosen son. And presumably, anything he wanted, he got. You can imagine that if you had a last born in your family, basically the way he would act is the way Joseph was acting. But Joseph, like every one of us, had big dreams. He had big visions for his life. And to accompany that, you know, God put those dreams, and he had those dreams and visions, you know, um, obviously while he slept. And his dreams, obviously, were very big and very ambitious, and at some point it meant that he was going to be some sort of leader where everyone is subjected to him. And obviously Joseph wasn't... um, it wasn't very tactful, and he obviously shared it with his brothers. And also shared it with his parents, because he says, it looks like you guys would also be subject to me at some point. So in Joseph's mind, it seemed like it was all figured out. Because he was the selected son. He was definitely going to get a good portion of his father's land. And God had given him this vision that, look, at some point, you're also going to be the leader of this family, I think, for all intents and purposes. And it really should have been smooth sailing from then on. But then we all know that Joseph ran into quite a a few challenges. And if we compare that to our lives, we find out that those challenges usually come in like three different formats. The first, obviously, is that the unexpected event happens. An event that shakes you to your core. An event that even your most strategic mind has not planned for. Um, There's an American general that says there are things that we know, that things we know that we don't know. But the one that worries us is one we don't know that we don't know. And so... No matter how Joseph was strategic or no matter how Joseph would have thought about his life, at the age of 17, he became a slave in a very foreign land. And how does a young boy who is 17, who had all these dreams in his heart, 
as he goes to Egypt in a cage with all sorts of people. How do you reconcile that in your mind? How do you think that this is definitely going to lead somewhere? When you're being pushed to a land where you don't even understand the language and nobody knows you. And with our lives, you know, it could be something like everything goes well and then one day you lose your job. I remember the first time I lost my job. It was Valentine's Day, presumably. And they called me for a meeting, which I thought, you know, was a meeting for a project. And then they told me that I'd lost my job. Incidentally, I booked one of the most expensive restaurants that evening. But those are things we could laugh at. But then how do you deal when you, when you lose a loved one? How do you deal when some sickness comes upon you? When all of a sudden your reality is shifted by force? And this was Joseph's reality as he moved into Egypt. And he was branded a slave. So within a, within a few weeks from living in opulence, he was now at the very lowest rung of the ladder in Egypt. The unexpected will always change our reality. Unfortunately, so many times, it also changes our expectations. And the biggest thing we would always ask is, God, why did you let this happen? Because I can imagine Joseph thinking, God, I'm sure at this point something is going to happen. These boys must be joking. And then a few months turn to a year. A year turns into two years. And then two years turns into 11 years. The second thing, you know, that obviously shakes our reality is when that breakthrough or that thing we've been expecting just doesn't come. In Genesis 39.1, it says Joseph was bought by Potiphar. But by the end of that chapter, Joseph was thrown in prison. And so you wonder that if Joseph had been praying for a breakthrough, year after year, at some point it seemed, that it, wasn't, it seemed like it wasn't going to come. Because the reality is no one actually knew he was in Egypt. And even if they found out it was in Egypt, no one knew where he was. He was just a slave in another man's house. And I can imagine every evening as Joseph prays every night that, Lord, please take this away from me. In his mind, he starts to think, how would this even happen? Because slaves don't even run away. Like, if someone owns you, most likely they own you for life. And so, for all intents and purposes, Joseph was going to live the rest of his life as a slave under another man's roof, never seen his family again. And so that expectation that he was going to be the leader of his family did not look like it was something that was eventually going to happen. And so... We see that Joseph did very well in his master's house. 
In fact, he became the leader of all the other servants. And he could have thought to himself that, well, maybe that is where, that is what that dream meant. Because now people are sort of, you know, um, subject to me in one way or the other. And that is what happens when, you know, we go through a period that is so long waiting that we start to accommodate for what we think the expectation is or what we think the vision really was. We start to adapt it into what our reality can be. And I don't, know if I'm, I don't know if I'm the only one talking to myself, but these are things that, you know, I go through in different, in different seasons in my life. Where there are things in my heart where I believe that, yeah, this is what I'm meant to do. But somehow the reality shows that this, is, this, might, not, this might not even happen. The third, the third thing, you know, is the trap of comparison. This is one big thing that really shifts our reality. I think one lucky thing that Joseph had going for him was that he didn't have an Instagram account. Because there is no way that in the evenings when Joseph had some time, looking through Instagram, he wouldn't see all his friends getting married, buying homes, starting families, acquiring properties. And then you look at yourself and wonder that I'm a slave where I am. And it doesn't look like I might even get married. But the world we live in now has brought us to a place where comparison is almost the order of the day. Away from social media, just the expectations of society makes you compare yourself to everyone else. And so our reality is getting warped. And we are believing that there should be a different expectation. And this, is, and this is discouraging a lot of us. You know, the Bible is very, you know, God is a very smart God. You know, when he says in Exodus twenty seventeen that thou shalt not covet your neighbor's wife, house, ox, everything or property. It wasn't just because, obviously, he didn't want you to eventually get to a point where you were, you were going to go and steal your neighbor's um, property. But it was also a part of self-preservation. When you start to covet, you know, you lose your sense of happiness. And so God was protecting us when he gave that commandment. I think it's the ninth commandment. But somehow our world has made it normal. Everybody on Instagram is always smiling. Everybody on LinkedIn is always doing something useful. Everybody, everybody on Facebook is always on some sort of holiday or in a wedding. And you seem like you're the only one, always, who is just with his phone, <laughs> doing nothing. But the challenge is that the, these things you know, bring consequences. The consequences that our reality doesn't match our expectations and with the first consequence is the loss of hope. For 11 years, Joseph was a slave. And as if, that was enough, as if that was not enough, two years after that, he was in prison. And in prison for a sexual crime that he didn't commit. And so, when you can't see a future, you start to lose your hope. The Bible says, you know, that... God has plans to give us a hope and a future. 
or then when you don't see that hope anymore in your heart, or when you close your eyes and that vision is already dulled, then we see a loss of hope. And then there's a loss of joy. Because loss of hope removes that joy from you. There's nothing you're sort of looking forward to. You're always sort of sad or always sort of just not happy. Depression obviously comes with this whole package. But then it might not be depression. It might just be discouragement. It might be sadness. It might just be that you are just not always happy. And that leads to loss of faith, which is a very important one. The Bible tells us God is a kind God. That if we ask God for something, because he loves us, he will give it to us. But then when we ask and ask and we don't receive, then we start to challenge that notion of God being a kind God. But we forget to understand that God is also sovereign. And God will do what he will do. But that loss of faith comes because at some point we have challenged the notion that this God that says he's a kind God is not kind to me. And then there's the loss of identity because this is where the devil plays and tells you, well, if you were really a son of God or if you didn't sort of do that thing last week, I'm sure you'd be in a better position. And so you start to challenge if I'm really a child of God or if really I'm a child of God but God loves me less than everybody else. Or if really I am saved. This is where the devil plays the most. Putting those doubts in your heart or in our heart. And finally, the loss of perspective. Like I said, at some point, when, Joseph was, when Joseph's master's wife asked him to sleep with her, you know, Joseph said, you know, I am the master of this house that everybody else is subject to me, apart obviously from your husband and you. But he was saying it out of pride. And there was almost a point as if Joseph had felt like I have finally achieved because they say sleep with me, but he starts talking about how I am the master of this house. He said, no or yes, right? But then there's a loss of perspective that will come because you are, you are reconstructing your expectations. You are reshaping it so that you don't get disappointed again. You, do, you dare not to dream as big anymore. But you believe, you know, this just might be what it meant. But I have a question. And I don't know if anyone can answer. If God was the one that put those dreams and expectation in Joseph's heart, and if God knows that when our reality at some point doesn't match our expectations, that it could lead to a loss of hope, loss of faith, loss of joy, Yet, why does God take us through the journey? I almost find it a bit more efficient that you have the expectation, 
maybe two or three years, slight challenges here and there, just so that you're a bit fit. And then it comes. It feels a bit more efficient that way. But yet we are going through these motions and we are seeing Christians and we are seeing children of God lose faith because certain things are not happening or because their reality has become far, far from what they expected in their life. It's almost the same question as if, why doesn't God just take us to heaven the same minute you are saved? Why does he allow us to go back into the world with the same temptations and the same challenges? Was the goal not just to make heaven? If Joseph was going to become the prime minister of Egypt, did he really need to be accused of a sexual crime? Did he really need to be in prison for at least two years? Rotting where nobody knew about him? In my mind, and this is my human mind, there seemed to be a number of easy routes God could have taken Joseph to at least get him to that point where he became prime minister. But this was, it seemed like the hardest route ever. And sometimes it seems like we are going through the most extraordinary challenges ever. Sometimes it seems like we're going through the hardest things which everybody else is not going through. And it's difficult to understand why. So I have two findings from my research. Like I said, this is, this is a discussion. I have come to find that the journey itself is actually the reward. And the Bible is a great example. The Bible itself is a book that starts from Genesis 1-1 and finishes in Revelation 22-21, I think. But interestingly, the last verse did not say they all lived happily ever after. The last verse said, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. And so, in between the first verse and the last verse, what we see is a journey of God and man and a relationship. And the purpose for that journey was God always trying to build that relationship. And we see every, almost every single person that was in the Bible went through a journey, went through a process. In fact, it almost became like a template. The people that God used to achieve extraordinary things all had journeys. And so it's almost like God was telling us that this journey is the most important thing to me. This is my priority. This journey, you and me. You know, when you see an old couple holding hands, dancing, he said the relationship is so much stronger because of everything they've been through. And because everything we are going through, we are going through with, we are, we are supposedly meant to be going through with God. That is why that relationship should be that much stronger. 
But unfortunately, when we get into our situations and when our reality doesn't match our expectations, we are fighting and we are crying and we are screaming and we are sometimes pushing God away. And so I realized that even if Joseph had maybe slept with Potiphar's wife, or if Joseph had eventually succumbed to depression in prison and hung himself, that God's plan to keep Jacob's children and to make sure that they get fed during the famine, God will still have achieved that plan one way or the other even if it took him bringing manna down from heaven during the famine. But it was important for him and Joseph to go through that journey. Not important for Joseph to become the prime minister. Yes, that prime minister served God's purpose. And it was good for Joseph too. But God can serve his purpose any other way. And the second thing I found is that, interestingly, we have all been selected for our individual journeys. Hebrews 12.1 tells us that let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. So it's almost like there's a race set out for each and every single one of us. And my race will be different from Olamide. And Olamide's race will be different from Chijim's race. But God wants to run that race with us. What we learned about Joseph was that he embraced his race. At every point where he found himself, you found out that Joseph had some interesting attitude where he just put himself, he just really put his all into whatever he found himself. It's a very interesting attitude that only the grace of the Lord can give us. So what is the solution? If the journey is the most important thing, and yet your landlord is on your neck, and, you know, and you're thinking, I might not be able to come out of this alive. Because we are, some of us are going through some really, like I said, extraordinary circumstances. Extraordinary circumstances that even you question, if you will, live intact. There are a few things I would like to prefer. The first is that we need to learn to find the presence of God in every situation. You know, when, um, when my daughter sleeps on the same bed with, with, with me and my wife, at some point when it's dark and it, it's night, like midnight, because children, when it's dark and they don't see anyone, the first thing they do is panic. But when she's tossing and turning and maybe she wakes up a little bit and as she sees it's dark, before she panics, she just looks across. And if she sees me or she sees her mother, she knows that she's fine and she continues to sleep. I don't even need to say anything. Because in some scenarios, we are saying, God, I can't hear you. We are saying, God, I can't hear your voice. But then, if we found the presence of God, if like my daughter, you just have to cite God, 
then you know that, look, I'm still fine. Let's continue. You know, the Bible says that in Hebrews 13, 5, never, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. It says in Psalm 23, 4, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. It says in Psalms 46, verse 1, God is our refuge and the ever-present help in time of need. So God never went anywhere. Sometimes we just have to maybe change our focus so that we can sight him. The same way my daughter would just turn around to make sure I'm still there. And one of the best ways to do that is in thanksgiving. Because when we start to give thanks, we start to realize that, oh God, that was your hand in that little bit there. Oh God, that was you that did that little bit there. That even though it's dark, that was you that sort of helped me through that. The thanksgiving helps us to cite God very clearly in our situation. One of my mentors said, you know, he learned the attitude of thanksgiving very early on. So he ran a very successful IT company. And they were doing very, very well. And then one day they got one of the biggest contracts that any company in Nigeria ever got from the government. And obviously they got, they won it. But obviously the way contract works, you know, you do your own bit first before you get paid. And so they had to borrow millions and millions of dollars to do this work. It was really huge, countrywide. And they started going, I started working, I started working. Then a few years down the line, the government pulled the contract and gave it to somebody else. And they fought and they sued and they did everything. They called everyone they knew. But you can't really fight the government, at least not at the moment. And so they, figured, they, they tried to figure out what are we going to do? How do we survive this? And with everything they tried, nothing, nothing worked. And so eventually, it was clear they were going to go bankrupt. And he said that morning, he was going to have the conversation with everybody and tell the board and tell all the staff that, look, we've had a good run, but this far, I know more. But he had some sort of peace because he just knelt down and he said, you know what, Lord, thank you. Thank you. Like, we've, achi we've achieved a lot together, Heavenly Father. Like, this company, I could do this because you were there. I could do this because you were there. I could do this because of this company. And it was amazing, and it's been an amazing journey. And thank you. And they got up, and they went to the office, expecting everyone to be, obviously, looking downcast. But everybody was running around. Put it, put it, put it, put it, put it, put it. Ah, what's going on? What's going on? They said the CBN just called. They said we should bring a proposal for BVN. He said, great, great. Put it, put it, put it, put it. He called somebody. He said, please, what's BVN? <laughs> but eventually, that's one of the biggest contracts they got, which was even bigger than the previous one. And their, co and their company stayed afloat. And he said, since then, he had learned the power of Thanksgiving. That no matter what, you would always find God in that situation. 
when you start to thank God. The second solution I would like to prefer is that we should protect our faith at all costs. Like I said, discouragement is when you're at your most weakest. And that is when the devil will probably be at his most strongest. And so we see that Joseph, at his 11th year, where he should be used to this now, got tempted by Potiphar's wife. But somehow he kept the faith. But for many of us, that is time where we sort of want to be alone. We don't want to be in church because everyone's going to, everyone is looking happy in church anyway. I don't really have their time. Let me try and figure this out on my own. But we find out that you're not praying as much. You're not reading the word of God as much. And then you're susceptible to every other influence. Susceptible to temptation. Susceptible to other thinking. Joseph says, how can I do such a wicked thing to God? It shows that his faith was still so much, much strong, even at that point in time. And one of the ways we can do this, you know, is we continually confess the word of God. Because what you say shows what you believe. The Bible says in Matthew 12, 34, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaking. And so if we are continually confessing, it shows what is in our heart. And the final thing is to embrace the race, embrace the journey. We should value this journey. I can imagine that if every single day in university, all you thought about was your graduation day, and you hated every single day, you would have missed one of the most precious and most exciting times in any young man or woman's life. Because yes, the graduation day is the day you get recognition, but the journey itself is where most of the excitement and most of the fun is. And God knows that. But do you know that? So we should value our race. We should value the journey. Because God is excited about the journey. Because that is when you and him get to know each other very intimately. We know how the story concluded, right? Joseph eventually became the prime minister of Egypt. And because of him, the line of Jacob continued. But Joseph had choices when he was going through his challenges. As we do have choices when we are going through ours. God has put it in your heart. Don't doubt it. But the journey has to come also. We have seen it in the Bible. We see it in our everyday life. So why do we fight it? Let us embrace it. Let us enjoy it. Let us value it. This is where we find out the most about God. 
We can either choose to hate the process or we can choose to find the presence of God and run our race with grace. Hallelujah. Shall we pray? Thank you for listening to a message from the LifePoint Church. To download more free messages, please visit www.soundcloud.com forward slash LifePointNG.